Well, I've been spending a lot of time with trees lately in my orchard, and we've been working hard there, and I'm sort of tired of seeing trees. But this morning, I want to look at some trees with you in the Bible. God uses the idea of trees a lot in the Bible to convey messages to us and teach us concepts and ideas. For example, when uh, in Psalm chapter, in the first Psalm, verses one through three, God uses the idea of a tree as one who follows God. Psalm one, beginning verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's an image that we can understand, isn't it? We've seen those trees planted by the river. Maybe you've been out west where it's arid and desert-like, but you come down to a river, and there's vibrant trees that are planted there, and they're very healthy, and, and they're, they're flourishing. That's the life of a, of a person who's following God here, the psalmist says. Our life can be like that tree, not like the tree that's out away from the river, away from the water, that's going to suffer with the drought and so forth. But the tree planted by the river is going to prosper. The Bible also uses the idea of trees to talk about the works or the type of life that a follower of God does. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 17. Even so, every good tree bears forth good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you'll know them. A person who's living like they should is going to be bringing forth fruit or doing things that are good, that show the type of person that they are. That's the kind of example that we see here from this idea of a tree, that our life as we follow God is going to bring forth these fruits. And if we're doing what we should, it's going to be good fruit, fruit that is a blessing. The idea of trees is mentioned again in, uh, in Luke chapter 13, verse 7, beginning. In Luke chapter 13, beginning of verse 7, this idea of a tree is illustrating God's long-suffering with those who are not living like they should. Luke 13, verse 7. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. The keeper of the vineyard is, or sorry, the owner of the vineyard is God. And he looks at this tree and it's not bearing fruit. He says, let's just cut, cut it down. But he's encouraged to be long-suffering, that maybe we can fertilize that tree. We can try and, and help it grow where it can bear fruit. God is long-suffering. We see that presented here with this idea of a tree. And finally, in the book of James, we see the idea of a tree representing our mouth. Notice in James chapter 3, verse 8, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, all brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? 
No spring yields both salt water and fresh. The idea of a tree that's going to bear fruit like it is, you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to get uh, olives off of a fig tree. You're not going to get figs off an olive tree. A tree is going to bear fruit, and our tongue needs to be good and pure so that we're speaking good things only, and those foul and defiling things aren't coming out of our mouth. Our, tree, our, our tongue needs to be like that tree that bears fruit of one kind. Well, I'm going to tell you, though, this morning that there are three trees in the Bible that are vitally important. Lots of ideas of trees in the Bible, but there are three trees in the Bible that are laced throughout the Bible from start to finish that are vitally important, and we need to understand the message of these trees. The first of those trees is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When God created the earth, he put man and woman into a wonderful environment. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, notice the environment that God places man in. In Genesis chapter 2, God has created the world. He's created man. He now places him in a wonderful environment. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God plants a garden. Have you ever seen a beautiful garden? Maybe you've gone to some type of mansion where there's a beautiful garden planted. Have you ever been to the Biltmore in North Carolina and seen that incredible garden that is planted there? Last fall, we were able to go to Colonial Williamsburg, and behind the governor's palace at Colonial Williamsburg was a wonderful garden, an incredible garden, very impressive. But this garden that God placed Adam in was planted by him. It is called his garden. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. It was the garden of God. Impressive gardens say something about the one who planted them, don't they? Cornelius Vanderbilt planted that garden at Biltmore, or had it planted, to show his prominence and his wealth. The governor's palace at Williamsburg has that impressive garden behind it because they wanted to show the, the power and the might of the British Empire. But this was the Garden of God. An incredible place, no doubt. And man got to live there in that garden. There's something peaceful and comforting about a garden, isn't there? When you're in a garden, there's a, a sense of peace there and comfort. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus went to a garden the night of his betrayal and trial before his crucifixion. There's something comforting about a garden. And how much more peaceful and comforting would it have been to Adam and to Eve to be in that garden, the garden planted by God. It was a wonderful place. And in it, the needs of man were fulfilled. Look at verse 9 of Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had planted that garden and made a wonderful environment for Adam and Eve to live in, and he had planted trees there for food to provide for their needs, a wonderful, wonderful place. And in the midst of that, God gave one command 
a simple command. Look at verse 16 of Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Out of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God says you can eat of all the trees, but you just can't eat of that one. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Sounds pretty easy to understand and pretty easy to follow. Basically, God says you got a buffet. You can have anything on the buffet, but that one dish you can't have. I can do that. I'd go to the buffet, and I can, I'll, I'll take anything on the buffet, but that one dish, okay, hands off. Seems pretty simple. But Satan's not going to let that stand, is he? He's going to challenge God and God's authority, and he does just that. Drop down to chapter 3 of Genesis, beginning of verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And so we have the first sin. The sin that the devil convinced Adam and Eve to participate in. God had given a rule. Man disobeyed the rule. And sin was the result. That is the definition of sin, isn't it? When God gives us an instruction to do, and we don't do it, that's sin. That's what 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So when God tells me to do something, and I don't do that, it is a sin. When God tells me not to do something, and I do it anyways, that's a sin. It's a transgression of the law. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. When God says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan came along and said to them, you ought to eat of that tree. It would be good. And they said, you know what? I think I'll eat of that tree. It might be good. And they did that. It was sin. So how did, Adam, how did Satan convince Adam and Eve to sin? How did he talk them into that? It seemed so simple. They were in a perfect environment. Their needs were met. They were in the garden planted by God. And they had everything going for them. How did Satan convince them, you know, you ought to do what God said not to do? You ought to eat of that tree. How did he convince them to do that? Well, he told them a lie, didn't he? They said, you know, even, even repeated the instruction that God had given. She said, if we eat of it, we're going to die. And what's Satan say? Ah, you won't die. Come on, you can eat of it. You're not going to die. Satan is a liar. He lied to Eve and he lies to us when he tries to convince us to sin. In John chapter four, 8, verse 44, you are of the father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a, a liar and the father of it. When the devil tries to convince us to do wrong, he's going to use lies. He's going to tell us things that aren't true, because he is to sin. I want to tell you what else he'll do. He'll appeal to our fleshly desire. 
Look back there in Genesis chapter 3. Notice as Eve, as she considers the fruit, she says it was, it says that she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. It's going to look good. Satan's going to try and present sin and make it look all good and pretty and something that you really ought to have. You really ought to be able to do what God said not to do. You really ought not to do what God said to do. That's what you want. Make it pleasant to the eyes. That's how Satan lies to us, just like he lied to Adam and Eve. I'll tell you what else he did. He appealed to their pride. They saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Wouldn't it be good if I was wise, they thought to themselves, no doubt. I deserve to know these things. He appealed to their pride, and he appeals to our pride as well. They're in the garden, planted by God, with one instruction to keep, and they didn't keep it. They listened to the lie, and they sinned, and as a result, they would die. God had said that the day you eat of it, you'll die. And they ate of it, and they died that day. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, beginning as we go on in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Abraham, or sorry, Adam, because I was named, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee not to eat, that thou should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and, did eat, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. I, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, he shall rule over thee. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return into the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove, drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way, to keep the way of the tree of life. Adam and Eve died that day that they ate of that tree. Their death was not physical. It was spiritual. And it happens to all of us when we, create, when we commit sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
When we sin, we die. We're dead in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, dead in our trespasses and sin. When you sin, you die. It is a spiritual death. Spiritual death. That is characterized by us being separated from God. They were in Eden where they were in the presence of God. And now they've been driven forth out of that because they're now separated from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. When we sin, when we listen to the devil instead of listening to God, it separates us from God. It kills us spiritually as it killed Adam and Eve. As a result of the sin, the man and the woman are driven out of the Garden of Eden, away from God's presence, away from the place of his enormous blessings that he had prepared for them. And they'd ultimately die physically as a result of being removed from the tree of life. And so the first tree that we see that we want to look at this morning in the Bible is that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that brings us to the next tree that is necessary as a result of Adam and Eve eating that tree and sin coming into the world. The next tree is the tree on which Jesus hung. God begins revealing his plan to save men from the consequences of their sins there in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 15. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's somewhat of a vague reference there, but as we read on through the scriptures, we'll realize and we'll learn that that is the first prophecy of the coming of the Savior to deliver us from the consequences of sin. Now, this wasn't a last-minute plan that God had to come up with real quick on the fly as he finds out that Adam and Eve have sinned. No, God had this plan from the beginning. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God knew that men would sin. He knew that they would need a Savior. And he planned this from before the foundation of the world. God's justice demands that sin be punished. God's justice cannot overlook sin. When sin has been committed, it must be punished. Adam and Eve's sins and our sins have terrible consequences. God's justice demands that those consequences be paid. But on the other side of that coin, God's love showed mercy in the giving of his son. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God sent his son to be the penalty for our sins. This required Christ's death. And this death was accomplished on a cross. Jesus died on a cross because of the sins of Adam and Eve and because of our sins. He died to pay the price for our sins. And over and over again in the Bible, the cross is referred to as a tree. In Acts chapter 5, verse 30, 
In Acts chapter 5, verse 30, Peter and the other apostles, in giving their defense, notice what they said. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, would say again, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus paid the price for our sins on the tree. Now, this doesn't refer to what we might think of, death in a tree, as hanging someone by a noose from a tree. No, Jesus died on a tree, not from a tree, on a tree. It refers to the cross. The cross was made of wood. In effect, it was a tree. And Christ hung on that tree for six horrific hours because of sin. His death was at the hands of the Romans who were well accomplished at executing people and not only executing people but by making it a terrible, painful, long-lasting experience. Jesus hung on that cross for six hours. The Romans wanted it to be a long and painful experience. In fact, Christ died earlier than they would have expected. You could hang on a cross for days as you suffered in agony. Jesus was nailed to that cross by his hands and his feet. Can you imagine being hung on a cross, your weight hanging on nails on your hands and your feet? Because of sin. Because of sin. He wasn't executed in the city but he was executed outside of it. You took your criminals outside of the city to execute them. In John chapter 19, verse 17, John chapter 19, verse 17 describes the place like this. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. The word there translated place of the skull is Calvary. We don't know why it was called the place of the skull. Perhaps it was a rock outcropping that looked like a skull from the distance. Or perhaps it was because they executed so many people there that there were skulls littering the ground. The place he had to bear his own cross. But Jesus was taken outside of the city and he had to bear his own cross. He had to carry the implement that would be used to kill him for sin. Not only was it a painful experience physically, it was painful because it was a place of humiliation. It appears that this place where they crucified criminals was along a road or a path where people would be traveling. Look at Mark chapter 15, verse 29. Mark 15, verse 29, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days. He's someplace where people are passing by. And as he hangs there on that cross in incredible agony, he now has to endure the pain of people making fun of him and mocking him. The very people he's dying on the cross for are making fun of him. What a terrible experience that would have been. Turn your Bibles to the 22nd Psalm. A psalm that Jesus references as he hangs on that cross gives us perspective as to what it would have been like. 
to hang there on that cross, the things that Jesus encountered and endured. Psalm 22. You know, the gospel writers give us the account of what happened. But Psalm 22 gives us the perspective from Jesus' angle on the cross. What Jesus felt like as he hung there on the cross for our sins. As he hung on the tree. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And, my, and from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night session, I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. O oh Father, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are, the one, are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast from you from birth, a cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Can you sense the agony that Jesus was going through as he hung there on the cross? They were staring at him. They were poking fun of him. It was like he was surrounded by dogs and by lions and by bulls that just wanted to destroy him, and they were destroying him, and there was no one to help. As he hung there on that tree for our sins. It was a terrible death, a death which was required because of our sins. Jesus hung on that tree. And that brings us to the last tree that we want to look at this morning. And that is the tree of life. As a result of this sacrifice that Jesus endured for us, we can have access to the third tree, the tree of life. The tree that was in the garden in the beginning that man lost access to. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming, fiery, or a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve. And as a result, we lost access to the tree of life because of sin. It is the tree that allows one to live forever, have access to that tree once again in heaven, 
In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The tree of life in heaven, we can access now because of Christ's sacrifices. Christ's sacrifice for us. If we're faithful to God and we submit our life in obedience to Him, we can access that tree of life. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. And He showed me a pure river of, of water of life, clear, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on the other side, either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each, fruit, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants serve Him forever. We can have access to that tree. But access to that tree is limited to those who obey. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city, who will submit to God in obedience. And so we have the three, I would say, most significant trees in the Bible. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree that brought sin into the world. The tree that required Christ to hang on a tree so that we can have access to the tree of life in heaven. Are you submitting to God so you can have access to that tree of life? That's a question that each one of us needs to examine this morning. Have you taken advantage of the gift of salvation that is made possible because of Christ's death on the tree? The Bible tells us how to access salvation. We do so by believing the gospel of Christ in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We've got to believe. We've got to have faith. But you know, we have to repent of our sins as well. Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 3, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We have to understand our sins. We have to understand the consequences of those sins, and we have to turn from them or repent, as Jesus said. We can't keep living in sin. We've got to repent, turn from it. We've got to confess our faith in Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We've got to confess our faith in Christ. And we've got to be baptized in water for the remission of sins. Jesus said before he left this earth, he said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. We need to be baptized in order to be saved. We need to be baptized to submit our lives to God so that we can have access to that tree of life. What about you this morning? Is there any way that we can help you spiritually? If there is, will you let us know while we stand and while we sing?